Most of the time when I preach to you, I'm like preaching a message to you, right? Like that's, that's the thing. It's like things that I'm learning, things that God's impressing on me to share with you and our church family. Today, I kind of want to bring you into something God's teaching me. Is that okay with you? So this is a, a little less me preachy, preachy, preachy at you. And this is more me inviting you into some of the things that God is having me think about right now. And I want to kind of invite you into that because one of the things about Christianity and about this thing that we do every week, it's who we are as the church, has had a little bit of criticism through the years. Are you aware of this? <laughs> are you aware that right now there are people who in the world who think we are absolutely nuts for being here and certainly for clicking through online and spending your time with us today. That is happening right now, has throughout history. And it gets worse, right? It gets to the point where there's actually persecution happening around the world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who right now are in danger for believing what they believe. And these are things you know. But we need to be reminded of that from time to time. That, that what we get to do and the sort of laissez-faire, lackadaisical demeanor in which we often come to the gathering of God's people is a thing. And if you go behind that for literally since the beginning of time when Satan showed up in the garden and wanted to question the validity of what God has called his people to, we've been struggling with it. So while I say that on one hand, it is not surprising on the other hand, right? Because really the biggest question people have been asking for all of time is some sort of version of this question. Why am I here? Right? That some version of that question has been being asked for all of time. Is this really it? You know, when you think about your Monday to Saturday, is that really all that I'm here for? Even those among us in our culture who have the proverbial everything, financially, all the toys, all the things. Is, is that really all you're here for? Not a lot of hope in that, is there? <laughs> Humans have tried to find answer to that question in so many ways, right? Humanity has put its faith in so many different things over time. You really track that and think about all of those places. Any plethora of religions... And vain pursuits for power and fame and wealth. We could, we could go on for the rest of our time just talking about all the ways in which humanity has tried to find meaning. But here we are in church. And so you know where I'm headed with that. I like that. But what makes us so sure that we have the answers? We all talk about that in church? 
without acknowledge that in church? What makes us so confident that out of all of the tries in humanity, we've got the answer? An atheist writer and thinker named Sam Harris wrote this a few years ago in an article on the Huffington Post. He wrote, faith is nothing more. That's, he's very confident in this. Faith is nothing more than the license that religious people give one another to believe such propositions when reasons fail. He goes on later in the article, he says, I find this to be ironic and kind of funny. Maybe you will. When we find reliable ways to make human beings more loving, less fearful, and generally enraptured by the fact of our appearance in the cosmos, we will have no need for divisive religious myths. And I would just submit that for thousands of years, there has been a reliable way to make sure that people are more loving, less fearful, and generally enraptured by the cosmos and our appearance in it. And it is called Christianity. It has been happening. Now, caveat, sometimes people are, well, we're people. (laughs) Even those of us who follow Jesus can, as the scripture says, fall short of the glory of God. And so a huge part of our confession is that, in fact, you and I don't have the answers. Think think about it. Faith and reason is really what's being set up on the table here. Are they enemies or friends? Do Do you have to separate the two to come to meaning? For our atheist friends like Sam Harris, they are enemies. That faith is the enemy of reason. And it is rather bold, if you think about it, for Christians to come along and make this audacious, maybe even ludicrous claim that we actually have the answers to that question, the meaning of life. So why so bold? That's what I really want you to think about today. Why so bold on that? What makes us so sure? And to put it rather simply, because there is a man. Because there's a man. And the singularity of this man's message is what separates Christianity from every other attempt at finding meaning in this life. There is a man and his message. There are very good reasons to believe in Jesus and his claims. So for those of us following Jesus, we believe that God the Father has actually revealed himself in a person that walked on this earth, that we can historically and accurately and factually point to, and quite literally everybody agrees that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was really born on this earth to Jewish parents 
who were poor carpenters, and he lived on this earth for around 33 years and was put on a Roman cross and died. That really happened some 2,000 years ago. And people agree with that. From that moment forward, people disagree. People disagree. And we recognize that and are even, we even concede the fact that we're going to disagree from this point forward because what we also recognize is that there is an aspect of our faith, a central aspect of our faith, where only God can open the heart and mind of a human. And so that is very real, but Jesus, we believe, is God in the flesh. Philippians tells us that he chose to set aside his rights as God to enter human history, that he didn't lose those rights, but in, in reality, he set them aside and didn't, as the, some of the older translations say, grasp them as his own, but instead set them aside to come for us. Why he came is a completely different matter for us, because he came to be a sacrifice for us. For his people to make a way for us to be right with God. Because you see the other thing that's been nagging people from the beginning of time. Is that outside of Christianity and it's baked into the article that this atheist Sam Harris wrote. Is this nagging problem that outside of Jesus there's no explanation for why humanity is so terrible. If we're supposed to be getting better, why do we stink at being better? Why is your individual life on Wednesday still so stinking difficult? Like any of us who follow Jesus would say, yes, I want the fruit of the spirit to be evident and overflowing in my life. But I got kids, man. I got coworkers. I have family problems. I have my own problems. You've got health problems. You know, there's, there are any number of broken things in every one of our lives that we could point to and say, I need help. I need something outside of me. To make a difference, come on, inside of me. And he, Sam Harris, even says that sometimes reasons fail. (laughs) They've been failing for thousands of years. Because the scripture is honest with us in saying that we do fall short of the glory of God. It's that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. There is only one way to human flourishing. Through Jesus. 
And what makes Jesus so amazing as God in the flesh is a simple verse in John's Gospel that says, Greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And the scripture says that he has called you his friends. Powerful. Powerful. So, so that's the man, but what about his message? What about his message? I've, I've not been able to contain it. I've been leaking it as I talk. But his message is just as distinguishable as the man is from every other religious leader. His message is different from every other message. Think about it. Every religion in the world charts a path for you to end up in this place of human flourishing. They may, they may have a different goal at the end, whether it be nirvana or heaven or, you know, you becoming deity yourself. Like, there may be a different goal, but ultimately, as we stand here, they chart a path for us to get over to where we wish we were. That, that, that is basic. Even in an atheistic framework, we're still over here pointing at the same places that our reasons have failed, wondering when, and it's in this article, we will ever get to a place where we understand how to inch our way over here. That even after thousands of years, We're, doing, we're having the same problems that we've always had. Every religion charts that path. But to be sure, all of them, the onus, the responsibility is on you to make it happen. Even in an atheistic framework, it's still on you. To make your happiness happen. And so, the message that Jesus came with was totally different. It was that the kingdom of God was at hand. (laughs) That in Jesus, we see the Father. And we see the Father... Through the love and sacrifice of his son. And so, Jesus, God himself, would chart that path to become right with him. But instead of putting the onus and responsibility on you to walk that path, Jesus would walk that path on your behalf. So that no matter where you are right now, no matter how far you've walked away from Jesus, or no matter how close you are with Jesus, at this moment, if you are a child of God, you are a child of God. The scripture says it this way, nothing, how much? Nothing can separate you From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. 
true Christianity is about what God has done, not what we have done or what we are currently doing. The focus of our faith is not us, but him. Let's think about it this way. We're the object of his work. We are not the focus of his work. That makes sense? Incredibly important. So, our faith and reason, enemies or friends. In that framework, C.S. Lewis helps us immensely here as we consider this. He suggests that they are, in fact, not enemies at all. Lewis argued, listen to this, that while reason is the natural organ of truth. So we're not dismissing reason at all. And in fact, I think Christianity has a lot to offer when it comes to reason, reasoning things as fact. C.S. Lewis says reason is the natural organ of truth. However, imagination, faith, is the natural organ of meaning. You spot the difference? Reason may bring you truth, but it doesn't give you any hope. We actually need our faith to bring meaning to our life. So the Bible describes faith in this way in the book of Hebrews. It is the evidence of things we hope for. You see what I'm saying? It's the evidence of what we hope for. And so what I want to do just briefly with you is look at one of the ways Jesus used our imagination. One of the ways he used our faith to make the kingdom of God visible for us today. And so I just want to go to one of his teachings briefly. In Matthew chapter 13, so if you have a Bible, you can meet me there. Matthew chapter 13, we don't have to look any farther than the way that Jesus spoke about his kingdom. So Matthew 13 is actually laden with ripe fruit for us. Just in this one chapter, there are seven stories in which he tells us That we have to use our imagination to take the truth that we know about his kingdom and give it meaning to us. All right, you ready? Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 4. And Jordan will try to keep up with me, but I'm going to move fast. So we'll see see how he does. Verse 4 says this. All right? Five can find it first. Okay, so verse 3 says he told them many things in parables. All right? And then... At the end of verse 3, it says, A sower went out to sow, verse 4, As he sowed, some seeds fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they do not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since, since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then here Jesus makes an interesting statement in verse 9. Look what he says. He who has ears, let him hear. 
What do you mean? <laughs> You're going to have to use your imagination to find the meaning in what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is that the gospel, the kingdom of God, will come and not everybody is going to receive it. It's not going to find good soil in every heart on this earth. Important. But he goes on in verse 24. Let's drop down a little bit. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Some of your translations are going to say, The kingdom of God is like, all right, to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. Let's connect some dots. Who's the enemy? The devil, right? So there is active teaching happening here, but you're going to have to engage your imagination to come to the meaning of the truth. So he keeps going. So when the plants came up and bore grain, there were weeds there also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, you did not sow good seed in your field. How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then what do you want us to do? Go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first. And bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Pretty powerful. Pretty important. That there is a day where we will stand before God. And the beauty of being in the kingdom of God is that we will be right with God. You see, because there's an aspect of God's character that is holy. And for a long time, time really since the garden for all of time this has been one of the places that our culture will point to and say see a good god would not have that in his bible a good god would not judge people but in reality we actually we actually like this principle and we actually live by this principle until we think about it from an eternal perspective and we think about it from our perspective. Because we actually, every day, if you were to watch the local news every night, you would hear stories of how people were violated and we would make a cry for what? Justice. And we will continue to watch the news in hopes that we will hear the story of when those people were caught and brought to justice. No doubt you in your own life have had things happen to you and you need someone else, no matter how small the issue or how big the issue, but you were wronged and you want things to be made right. See, this is a principle that we live with every day of our life and we actually are for it. We're pro-justice until it comes to God. And then all of a sudden we don't want to follow what God has naturally birthed into our heart. And so the kingdom of God is like. <laughs> There's another one in verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. 
It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. What's going on there? When Jesus said these things to his disciples, there were 12 of them. And now, if you look from then to now, there have been billions of Christians. Billions of people in the kingdom of God putting their faith in Jesus. It began like a seed, the smallest of all seeds, and has grown into the most influential movement in the history of the world. The kingdom of God is like... He goes on and on here, and I I don't want to do all of it, but he would then, in verse 33, compare it to yeast, the kingdom. In verse 44, he compares the kingdom of God to treasure in a field. He says it's like the kingdom of God is like knowing that there's a treasure buried in a field, and so you joyfully run, sell everything that you have so that you can go buy that field. (laughs) That's what the kingdom of God is like. You compare it to a great pearl. He then would compare it to a fishing net. Then he would compare it to a homeowner. All in the same chapter. Why? Because you actually need all seven pictures to grasp the meaning of the kingdom of God. You actually need all of those things to develop a full picture of what God's doing in the world. And where you fit into it. Some of those things are things that only God does. Other ones, like casting a net, those are things that we get to do. And so, really, really important. And then I think it's also important that Jesus, in that moment, is promptly rejected. (laughs) He goes through all that, and people are like, I'm out of here. Jesus is inviting us to imagine his kingdom. Because you live in a world, a culture, that sees faith and reason as enemies. You do. And this will, I think where this comes to fruition for you and I is that it will inevitably bring doubt about your faith. That you will inevitably, in different circumstances of your life, doubt what you believe. And I just want to acknowledge that with you, that that doesn't make your faith weak. That doesn't make it false. It makes you human. <laughs> that doubt would come up, and I would just want you to say, want you to know that having doubts about your faith isn't wrong. In fact, it can lead you into greater understanding of your faith and in your God. So we go back to my assertion about faith. Faith takes what is visible and makes it makes what takes what is invisible and makes it visible. Right? Look at Hebrews eleven, one to three. This is not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. It says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Think about that. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Were you there? You you can get this question right. Were you there when the earth was formed? Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. However, 
Were the scientists there when the earth was formed? With a little more confidence. Were, they, were the scientists there when the earth was formed? So it's going to take a little bit of what for all of us. So it's by faith that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what was seen or what is seen was made out of what is visible. And then it goes into some examples of men and women in the Old Testament who lived by faith. And what they did with their doubt because every one of them had doubts. I think of Abraham and Sarah and when God declared the promise to Abraham, his wife was in the, was in the next tent over doing what? Laughing. Because some of it really is ludicrous. <laughs> you bet. And so, there they were. There's a confession to make in the face of our doubts. Listen to what it says of those folks in Hebrews 11.13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And here's the confession. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. I just, I just want you to know that if Sam Harris never comes around to placing his faith in Jesus, that doesn't make it any less true. It means that you have come to a meaning in your life that has not been revealed yet to him. Admitting that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. Here's what makes that really difficult. It's difficult. It is hard to be a foreigner in any place. I don't know if you've ever traveled to a different country that doesn't speak your language. It is difficult to be a foreigner in any place. Because you don't speak the same language. You don't see the world the way they see the world. Never forget when we went to Ethiopia and adopted this guy. It was awesome. But for about two weeks, he was communicating with people that I could not communicate with. And I'm like, I just want to know what's being said. And I, I, there, was, there was a sense of lostness for me. And then the roles reversed when we came here. And I was comfortable and he was not. And it's just, it's a picture that there's a confession that we make in the face of our doubts that, you know what, in this world, we are strangers on the earth. We may never be understood. But in the face of those doubts, we can recognize that as we dig in and look at the facts, that there's actually Very good reason to believe what we believe. That Jesus is who he said he is. Because science continues to prove and disprove certain theories. And it has been for all of time. Do you know that at one point, not too long ago, they thought the earth was flat? Like that that was was real. (laughs) 
Now we've been in space and we, can, we have pictures of the big round ball of earth. Now we're sending civilians into space. We've come a long way, but in all of the discovery, in all of the theory, in all of the proof, you know what's never been proven untrue? Your Bible. The Word of God of itself says that it is living and active. You can put great faith and great trust in God's Word because it has stood the test of time. And it will continue to stand the test of time because the God who wrote it has stood the test of time. So what do we do with our doubts? I'm going to have the band come up. We're going to take communion here in just a second. But I want to encourage you in this moment that no matter what is going on in your life, and no doubt that we're all in different places, what do we do with our doubts? Let me read two scriptures for you. The first one from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5 says this, For though we live in the world, listen to me, this is so important, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So important because so much of Christianity is missing that right now. We're waging war as the world wages war. And I want you to know that that's not the call of God on your life. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought to make captive, to make it obedience to Christ. The way you wage war is not right here. You tracking with me? We don't fight the way the world fights. We don't. We don't. We take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. What is that? What is what is the, what does that mean? Let every let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But such as is fitting that would build people up. That's what it looks like to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Isaiah 61 Verse 1 to 3 says this, the Spirit, this is going to sound familiar to you because it's what we've based our entire church on in Luke chapter 4. Jesus was quoting Isaiah, and here's what he said. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. So this is Isaiah speaking, and then Jesus would say the same thing and call us to the same thing. But here's what he said. The Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I love this. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What does it look like to live in this world as a follower of Jesus, a child of God? It looks like being a oak of righteousness planted in Tampa for the display of his splendor. My oh my, how would that change the way we interact with the world around us? Because in reality, what Jesus offered to you in Acts was to fill you with his power to be his witness. I think a lot of us, we just run to, well, I got to I gotta go like confront somebody with the gospel. No, no, no. The gospel is good news. It's you being planted for the display of his splendor. What a powerful thing. Faith and reason are not enemies. But there are some things in the kingdom of God that go beyond our reason and move into the wonderful place of the divine power of God.